Getting split. Getting split. Getting split. Getting split ready. For my wife. God rest her soul. God, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. She's not dead. We're just divorced. Unscripted and honest discussions on divorce and separation. Getting split ready. What was I supposed to tell him? I divorced you from the show. Here's your hosts, Doug Katz and Mariah Pleasant. Welcome, everybody, to Getting Split Ready, our August show. Oh, is it August? No, July. Is it July or August? This is this our July show? July. July. Look at it, because we're right on the cusp of August. I'm a, I'm a mortgage guy, so I always think about the month ahead. Um, but this is our safety show. We're going to talk about four aspects of safety during divorce and separation. Physical safety and security, internet safety and security, mental safety, and monetary financial safety. Our guests on our panel today, again, great guests. We've got Joe Markovich. I said that right, right? Yep. All right, good. From JCMA, he's the CEO and an IT professional, knows a ton about uh, internet and internet safety. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what he's got to say. And Angeline Schuler, um, master's in social work and licensed, I always forget, was his licensed certified social worker? Clinical, God dang it, I always get that wrong. I write down the acronyms and I forget them. I'm as bad as our president. Um, <laughs> and the clinical director of New Vista Behavioral Health. So really looking forward to, to hearing how to keep the, 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 the brain uh, safe. So leading off, want to talk a little bit about physical safety. And I'm gonna start with you, Doug. You start with me, because I'm our divorce safety pro on here today. You are. So. It's not always an issue when people are going through a divorce, but when it is, what are the important considerations that people need to kind of have front of mind when they're thinking about their own personal space and their physical safety? You know, I think of this in a couple of different ways, and I think you've got to really categorize it the right way. And first, intent, right? And, and know where you don't feel safe. It could be you don't feel safe from whoever your spouse is uh, or your soon-to-be ex-spouse, but it could also be that you're in a completely amicable breakup, but now you're alone for the first time and you're having to think about certain things where you felt safe before and, and didn't have any issues. Um, so I, I think that's the first step is what about it is not making you safe and, or is it both? Like, what is your intent? What specifically is it making you feel safe? And I think if you have a therapist, that's, that's a, a, another good way to find out to get at what you don't, where's the, where's the angst and the anxiety coming from? Angeline, do you see some of that? Like when people start going down that road? Absolutely. Now, the I other thing I said, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry, Mariah. I recently had someone uh, come into mediation and I wanna say she was in her mid fifties. She had never lived alone, never lived alone. And so it was an amicable split. Um, and money wasn't a huge issue. They just kind of had to figure out how to divide it. But living alone was terrifying to her because she'd never done it. 
Well, it, it, I, you know, especially, you know, and I think that we tend to think in terms uh, a lot of the, of the, the female spouse. Um, but if you're living in an area that may have a high crime rate, even if it's a nice area, especially in the cities, you might have a really nice block in a block that might, might have a higher crime rate. You got to think about those things. So, and I, and I think the other part of it is to think about sort of three levels of safety, right? Um, and thinking about like, um, you know, like your state of mind, like your, your mental safety, your physical safety and spatial. And thinking spatially, like when I say mentally, not what you talk about, Angeline, but more about um, being in a defensive state of mind, like the best self-defense. We talked to him and we actually had an ex-policeman on our show early on. And part of it is don't end up in a situation where it gets dire, right? So it's thinking about not dire Indiana, I'm saying dire, like really, really bad, but it's, it's staying out of places that might have crime. It's um, if you're worried about somebody who does know your habits, change up your, your patterns a little bit so that you're not in a situation where you could be caught off guard. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, with a, with a house, you know, do you have a security system? Do you have a dog? Like, have you cut back your, your, um, your landscaping so that people can't hide? Do you lock your windows at night? A lot of our really basic things. And we actually have some checklists on our website that people can go through. And there, there's other ones out there. There's no better than anyone else. But a lot of it is just thinking defensively. And when you're in that state of mind and not paranoid, like there, there's a, there's a fine line between being completely paranoid and being just thinking defensively. I used to be, I used to prep, you know, for disasters. Now, by the way, a lot of people are saying I was a lot smarter than when they used to make fun of me, but that's a whole nother show. But I think there's an aspect of saying you can live your life if you take certain precautions without being afraid to leave your house. So I, I think that's a big part of it. And then spatially, it's, you know, like when I ride the L, I always ride the first train. And, and, I'm, and I'm a second-degree black belt, you know, with ex-military experience stuff, but I ride the first train because you're just less, less likely to have an issue when there's people around. Um, with, um, you know, your vehicle, don't you park it where, you don't park it in the back corner of a lot. You know, certain things that are going to keep you safe um, when you need to be safe. Well, I think some of the stuff you're talking about, Doug, um, and maybe Angelina will back me up. As women, we know a lot of this from early on as teens. We know where to park or not to park. We kind of know how to be aware of our surroundings when we walk through a parking lot. Right. Uh, because we have to be. And so what do you do when that level of safety is even more endangered when you have you know, a volatile relationship. I know you wrote, uh, you wrote a blog a while ago on whether or not to purchase uh, a firearm. And that's, a big yeah, I mean, listen, you know, I'm a big believer that you do need, you know, it's different levels, right? Again, as I said, so I think staying out of like, I'm a concealed carry uh, license holder, right? And I think people have a misconception of that, where all of a sudden, you're carrying a firearm and you're like Rambo, but it's not. It's a matter of putting yourself in situations where you would never have to use it because it's a, it's a, it's a very, very, um, you know, it's, it, I, I'll, I'll throw some Spider-Man out there. With great power comes great responsibility, right? So I think it's a matter of saying, I'm going to stay out of all those situations, but then what if I get in it? 
And I think that's a real personal choice. And I think, again, if you've got a therapist during that time, getting to what the fear is and, and at the appropriate level of tactical defensive thinking that and and actually actionable plan that that suits you right if it's a firearm you're talking about needing you know it's somewhere like illinois a good deal of planning you've got to get you got to get licensed you got to get a void card if you want to carry it you got to get a, a a concealed carry holder you've got to pick what you want to carry there's a lot of different firearms um and then you've got to get trained safely and commit to going out and practicing and being safe with it. Um, that's a lot of work. It could be just carrying pepper spray. It could be, and I recommend any, everybody, I mean, regardless of divorce, I recommend everybody take some basic self-defense. Um, I was going to ask about that because it worked out really well for Jennifer Lopez in that one movie. It did. Um, but I don't well. know that we're all quite at that level. Yes. So, well, and it's, it's simplicity, right? Like there is, a lot of statistics and, and stuff out there about when you get adrenalized, right? It's like anything else. When that happens, your vision gets 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 more narrow. Your um, fine motor skills get worse, right? So if you've got these complex plans, and this is this is how they train military and other folks, right? Like there's an aspect of people who train a lot don't have these complex plans that they have to put in place. So it's simplicity. So really basic self-defense, how to escape. And we've got a class on our site about that. Like, how do you break a hold? For women especially, and this is, again, we're about divorce and separation and that, but basic self-defense, as you said, is an important thing. You know, um, my sensei had once talked, she teaches self-defense as well. And she's like, if you're a woman, never get put in a, like if someone's trying to put you in a car, never let allow that to happen because your chances of survival drop really precipitously after that. So what do you need to learn? And really, if you can do four or five things pretty good, if you can break certain holds, if you can do certain strikes, um, there's a lot that you can learn uh, or there's a lot that you can take with you and um, get through most situations. I, I think the biggest thing is safety, security, whether it's personal or spatial or anything is not one and done. Um, you know, it's kind of like when I used to prep, right? It was like people were like, well, you're ready, right? And it's like, no, because it's a constant reevaluation of what's out there. It's a certain boning up on skills. Skills are like anything else. They are, um, they're perishable, right? So- um, Do you think they can also give you a false sense of confidence? What's that? Do you think they can also give you a false sense of confidence? It can, it can. And I think that, um, you know, it, 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 it comes down to, again, training and training and training and realizing the gravity of it. Uh, and I think that a lot of times that and make your training very realistic. And I think the more realistic it gets, the more the less confidence or the less overly confident. You should be confident, but not overly confident. And I think the more of that that you get. Now, you know, we're, we've sort of gone only to protecting yourself. But I think there's the same thing. It's not one and done with your house, right? If you cut back all your landscaping or to a reasonable level, put in the right lighting and get cameras and all that, nothing is infallible, right? So you always need to have the right degree of, you know, we're, we're, we're not that far from where we were a couple thousand years ago as a species, right? So we have that ability 
to have that fight or flight. And in some ways it's repressed, right? There's a lot of distractions, you know, stuff like just staying off your phone when you pull in your garage. Like I live in Oak Park, the garages are all on alleys. A lot of the crimes are because people are getting in and out of their car, they're looking at their phone, someone sneaks into the garage. Sometimes they're, they pulled in, they're looking at their phone, they're on their phone with their spouse or their kid. Someone comes in the garage, the garage door closes, now they're in a bad situation where it's just a matter of, you know, I hate to say think like the, the, the threat, but there's some of that, right? Like if you walk into an area and you're like, wow, this is like a really bad area to be caught, right? They say when you get on, when you go to restaurants, when you go to a lot of places, just in case there's a fire, look for the exit, right? Know where the exits are. Be able to get up and move to those exits quickly. It doesn't change because it's your house. Like being overconfident in your house, you got to know what the ingress and egress routes are. You got to think about, you know, if somebody was going to do something to you, what would be their logical way of doing it? So I, I think it's just a lot of common sense. Not to piggyback too much on your Spider-Man theme, um, but there's been a lot of studies and research that says too, you do have a sense. And when they interview people, when they've had something bad happen, a lot of times there's that few moments beforehand where they're like, this isn't a good place or your spidey sense goes off and you need to listen to your spidey sense. Totally. Totally. And I think that it's, it's allowing that to come out a little bit. But what's interesting is there's also an aspect of response versus reaction, right? And that, that's very hard to train. Um, it, it, there, there's, it takes a lot of training to do it. But um, getting to the point where you're not panicked um, and where you are able to respond and not freak out, right? And that's where you, when you keep things simple, that's probably the, the, the best way to go is the more simple that you keep it, the more likely you are to respond and, and not, not react when the time comes. I'm guessing you have some experience with this, Angeline, with safety plans and we stuff do. like that. Yes, um, definitely. Do you want to touch on that a little bit on your experience with safety plans? Um, well, oftentimes we'll identify what were some of the concerns within the marriage. Um, was there domestic violence involved? Or even in cases where there's not domestic violence, as we know, divorce can be very stressful and Oftentimes what I'll see is one person initiating the divorce and then the other person getting really, really, really unwell. We call it adjustment disorder with mixed mood features where they start to get depressed and anxious, but then they almost become obsessed with the person who's initiating the divorce. And so um, there's a lot of things that we, we kind of put in the safety plan about how to be aware of your surroundings, minimizing contact, making sure someone knows where you're going if you're gonna go out alone somewhere. Um, and then also even, I know we're going to get into um, some stuff about how to protect yourself um, with the internet side of things, but, you know, how to protect your account so that your um, partner isn't stalking where you're going, things like that. Um, it's not entirely like too common in what I see, even though I do specialize in high conflict divorce, um, but it does happen. And so really it's just identifying like what behaviors were going on before the divorce. And then as the divorce is going on, what, what concerns are the person coming in with? And then just giving them those those skills and tools to try to minimize the possibility of being in danger. So if I'm at the beginning stages of divorce, um, which is when we really hope a lot of people are doing a lot of their research and thinking and planning, right, before they're a year into it, what are some ways that I can make sure that I maintain boundaries and keep myself mentally healthy and safe too? 
You know, I was actually writing down some ideas as you guys were talking. And um, one of the things is realizing that in divorce, um, your support system is going to change. The people who were in your support system may decide to side with the other side or just completely disappear because it's too much for them to go through and um, divorce is a very stressful thing. And so just being aware of your support system and knowing who your core people are, like knowing who can you count on and rely on and that they're always going to be there for you. And then keeping your, like what I call stressed out times to those limited people. So instead of going and talking to everyone or going on Facebook and blasting what's going on, like really just have people that you know are solid that you can trust to lean on for support. And if you aren't really sure about somebody, then put them in the maybe category and then maybe get a therapist or a divorce coach or someone else outside of your support system that you could talk to. Um, but really a lot of it is um, realizing like who is in your, who's on your team. And the other thing too is not going to like his family or her family, whatever the opposite gendered parent person's family is, and trying to like get them pitted on your side um, because ultimately family is gonna side with their own. And so just being able to be like aware that not everybody has to agree with you, not everybody has to see things your way, that it's okay for people to have their own feelings and opinions and you know, just kind of insulating yourself from some of that. I think that's important too with the noise that comes from divorce, right? Because as soon as you enter the realm of divorce, you've got five or six friends who've been through it who want to tell you everything they learned, which is probably super well-intentioned, but not super useful in all cases. <laughs> that's right. for sure. Go ahead. No, I was going to say th this is, you know, it, I think it really, it's, it's very interesting, the degree, like the breadth of consideration that people have to have when they're doing this, especially in high conflict divorce. Um, but we gotta move on because we've only got so much in strong. We're coming back to you on the mental part. So I want, I want you to, to, um, to, to, to keep thinking in that direction, but we're gonna pivot real quick, talk a little bit about the internet, right? Because you were talking a little bit about it from social media and all of that, but really everybody's lives right now are in, in, you know, they're, they're, you, everything you do is tied to the internet, right? So your email, your, of course, your social media, your phone, you know, everything is there. So I want to turn it over to Joe and start a conversation about when you're, when you're in this situation and you're breaking up a couple, uh, not breaking up, well, when you're breaking up as a couple, we don't break up couples. When you're breaking up as a couple, what are some considerations that people should have um, with respect to internet safety. Well, I liked, what Angel I liked what Angeline said about the core people because there's all those privacy settings and social media. Let's use social media as an example. There's all those privacy settings. Use them, you know, and don't broadcast. We have this, this tendency to broadcast everything we do. Stop. Like, stop doing it. You're basically just, basically you say, you're, you're leaving the front door open with a big giant open sign pointing to it that says, come in, like, stop doing it. Like that's, that's controllable. You can stop doing that or at least minimize it as much as you can. Cause you were just, you, you are opening it up. That's also getting into the physical security because like you're posting that you're not at home. Well, someone's watching your house and then now guess what? They know right. you're not home, you know, things like that. And like well, that, and the ability to set somebody off, we were talking about, you know, uh, high conflict divorces and volatile spouses or ex-spouses. 
them seeing you up with uh with another with another person would probably not be the best thing in terms of lighting a fuse. Right. <laughs> it may not even be a significant other. It could be a picture of you out with two or three friends. There's one person that sparks the interest or the jealousy of the other person, and it might not even be someone you're involved with, but that can get the ball rolling. Um, yeah, and I I had also written some notes about like, you know, everything about yourself is on the internet. You just do a search in your name and you find everything and it's even down to places you've been or you know you wrote a review about something whatever it's just uh, mariah called it the spidey sense and it is like the spidey sense like you know taking those extra couple of seconds to think do i really need to do this because again someone's going to find it out on the internet which is the simple search on google bing whatever like just being really careful of what you're putting out there because all of that's traceable back all of so, it, every, every what about of what about things like passwords? You know, we were talking a little bit on, on my segment about ring cameras, uh, security cameras, and things like that. Well, those are hackable, right? Same right. kind of thing. So, what are some considerations for stuff outside of social media? You know, in terms of people's uh, technology safety. So everything has a password, but you need to make it sure that it's a secure password. It's got to be, and everything now, most everything, I would say about everything, um, has the two-factor authentication and the multi-factor authentication where you have to have a second form of security. It's a text message. It's an app you download from Google or Microsoft. You need to use those. You have to have that second, because every password is breakable. Like password, the password is a risk all by itself. You need to set up the two-factor authentication for everything on top of using a secure password. So a secure password is like, you know, 12 characters. As you keep adding characters to a password, once you get over, I think it's over 10, it starts to get exponentially impossible for um, a person to figure that out. And the computer would take like decades to try and figure it out. So you've got to have the capital letter, the symbol, number, and not just like, you know, the five, like the five. Uh-oh, we're losing you. So I think he's saying one, two, three, four, five, six is not a good one. Yeah, that would be a bad one too. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a bad one too. <laughs> what was that? In Spaceballs, the uh, his luggage was one, two, three, four. Yes. Oh yeah! Don't use your birthdays. Don't use family names. Don't use you know none of those things. Nothing easy. Nothing common words either. You just because there's there's software that just sits there and will just try, 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 and then. Even if it gets it, if you have the second layer of security, well, nothing can get that except you. Just don't lose your phone. That's the one thing with the second level of security. It's usually on your phone. Don't lose your phone, like for sure. And even, oh, that's a good, a good point to bring up too, is on your phone, make sure that your phone's got a passcode on it at least. At least a passcode or face ID, you know, at least one of them. Because I do know a lot of people that don't even have a passcode on their phone. It's just now, not can, wide open. Can you talk a little bit about you know, we, when we were building Split Ready as a company, we talked a lot about um, safe browsing because some of our clients have not yet necessarily gone all the way down the road yet. So talk a little bit, if you could, for a minute about kind of managing that and managing, figuring out a good way to keep private what needs to be private during a time when you're getting information. So the, the browse, so of course everything's tracked on the browser of what you, what you're going to do, the site you're going to, whatever. 
So that's like the big thing of like clearing the cache, clearing the website you visited, clearing, um, clear the cookies out, which has its own other set of issues when you do that because if passwords are, or like tokens are stored in the cookies, like for your online banking or like, you know, the, the power company, whatever. But clearing all that out is just, it's in the settings menu of usually all the browsers and just there's a button that says delete all the history. So you delete the history or. Um, what about VPNs? So those are okay, but. Stop. What about what? Virtual private networks. So it's, um, you're basically, what you're doing is you're creating like a secure tunnel around your connection and then you're using that to go out and browse places and it's supposed to be like, like corporations use that when they want people to log in remotely from home, but it needs to be secure, especially now during COVID. Um, but it has to be secure so that everybody, like company data is not gonna potentially be snooped on or whatever. Okay. So there's companies out there that make these like pieces of software that is supposed to say like, okay, we're gonna like secure your connection on the internet while you're browsing away. So nobody can snoop like outside of, like outside on the internet, nobody can snoop at what you're doing. They're fine and there's lots of people that believe in that, but I don't use it because, well, one, I don't care what people see that I'm doing, but two, I don't, like everything has a back door to it and those have a back door to it too. So nothing is like infallible of like, it's gonna always work. It's just, it's not there because if it was, we would all be uh, robots instead of humans and we would never have to worry about security because it wouldn't be in our program. Hey, could you move your mic up? I, it's hard to hear you right now. Do you, you have a mic? I've got the- Much better. There oh, you go. there we go. We were losing okay. you. You have such oh, great stuff today, we don't want to lose you. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge believer in like those VPNs, like for the, like the, like you pay the subscription, like that, you know, 50 bucks a year or whatever it is. I'm not a huge believer in that. You just have to be some, um, I think it was Angeline, it was you, you were talking about like common sense. A lot of it's just common sense too. Just like, just be careful what you're doing and, you know, clear out or uh, clear out everything you're worth, like all the browser history and all that. The one thing about doing that though, too, is that someone's going to know you did it because all of a sudden, like there'll be no saved websites and like everything loads slower because the cache has all been deleted. So mm -hmm. someone's going to know that you're hiding something though. Well, no, or you just need a viable backstory that things were running slow and you know, I looked <laughs> in this particular site said you had to clear the cache and you know, all that kind of stuff. Couldn't you just search in incognito mode when you're searching? Wouldn't that help? It, it, it sort of helps only in the thing that like it's blocking all those like tracking requests that websites do to know who you are to like serve you ads. So that's incognito is like, it's okay for that, but you still have, would still have the browser history though. Like the browser history still shows up. So um, that's more for like, you don't want the, the websites to track that you've been there. What about encryption? Talk a little bit about that. Cause you might be having, correspondence with somebody and you want the information to stay safe. So anything like when you're using like the free public email, so like Gmail, Yahoo, AOL, um, there's a couple others I can't remember. So all of that is basically you're just, the best way to say it is you're throwing a paper airplane in the air and whoever catches it, catches it. So if you're sending anything, anything that's, you know, personal or you don't want prying eyes, email's not the best way to send it. 
So there's, there's plenty of options of those like, you know, online file storage places that are, that say that like, you know, we can we'll give you a bunch. So I have to plug what I do. So I sell Microsoft products and the Microsoft products, even for consumer, um, that is all encrypted end to end. So if you're going to, if you're going to share something with someone or you need to keep some documents secure. So the OneDrive, like everybody basically has an Office 365 account because they need to use Word and Excel and probably PowerPoint. So all of, all of that is um, encrypted already, uh, but they give you even just the free account, it's five gigabytes of storage that you just set up in a matter of like, you know, a couple of minutes and it's set up and you can at least share that and it's encrypted from Microsoft. Is that like a, that becomes a document vault? Basically, because one of the nice features, so one of the nice features of um, your Office 365 subscription that comes with the software is um, there's a thing in there called Personal Vault. And Personal Vault has like another wall of security and encryption on top of what, like, what the, the, the cloud storage already has. So you have to have a second form of authentication to look at the documents, so like a pin code or from an app. Um, it only lets you in, and if it detects that there's been inactivity for like 15 or 20 minutes, it, it locks you out again. And Losing you again. Oh, and you have to re-log in? Sorry. This is my- I'm getting you one of these, man. This is- I, I know. I need a real- big gun. I borrowed from a real my microphone, gun. not my gym headset, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, so it, it, they put an extra level of security around it, and they also then, you're, it's like a time-sensitive time access. So you only get 20 minutes of like- idle time and then it locks you out and you have to re you have to re-log in to access so that could be like your passport or your driver's license or if there was like you know financial stuff you want to keep secured so this feature is part of your subscription that you know you you see it but they don't really like it's not really like a hundred percent talked about when you like sign up or everything but it's there so it's a it's better than sending over email like don't send really anything personal over email what is that called again? It's called it's it's OneDrive from Microsoft. So all the so if you if you don't have an Office 365 subscription, it's five gigabytes and it's free. And it there's no cost at all. If you do have an Office 365 subscription to get the applications, then you get OneDrive as part of it, just a bigger, a bigger OneDrive. It's one terabyte. But there's this feature in there called Personal Vault, and it is um, like an extra level of security around like the really critical stuff in your life that you could save up there. And it's also accessible on your phone too. It's the same, um, it's the same encryption, but it's just through the phone app instead. Now, what about, are there any good messaging apps that you would recommend? There's a ton out there. I know the kids change it all the time, but are there any messaging apps where if you were if there were people who were helping you through your divorce, if you wanted to be able to communicate and not have it out there, are there any of those you'd recommend? There's so many of them that you just take your pick, you know, the, and they're all secure. But yeah. They're secure in, in, well, security is also what you want to believe in too. So if you think it's secure, it's going to be secure, but there's so many out there that you just, you basically take your pick, you know, there's, uh, text message is probably the worst because that's unencrypted and that's just that goes out just over the public network so text message is probably the worst and I would say that 
I can't make a recommendation, honestly, because there's too many. You know, somebody may use WhatsApp. Somebody may use um, Facebook Messenger. Somebody may use... Um, no, but is Facebook Messenger secure? Nothing is really secure. Is but, um, but Facebook You're Messenger... You're crushing my illusion, man. I, I know. I'm sorry. I have to bring you back to reality, Doug. Um, and the uh, Facebook Messenger is... It's there because, again, a lot of people use it because they're on Facebook. So it's like it's an app. You just pop the app open and start now, talking. Now, which ones? You know, and again, I just know partly what I know because I got two teenagers. But there are some where the messages disappear, right? Yeah, like Snapchat does that. And um, oh, I can't think of the other one. See, as you can tell, I don't use any of these because right. like, like I'm old school. Well, I'll just pick up the phone and call. So then you need a burner phone. Yeah, then you got to have a burner phone. Right. So, yeah, you, no, I was just getting caught up on my Better Call Saul. He was selling burner phones. I'm like, that's a great episode. Um, no, that's great, great input. And if people want to get hold of you, now I know we, we, we use you. You do a great job for us. So you guys do great work for businesses, end-to-end uh, -end, you know, technology and, and the, the marketing stuff. But um, if anyone has any questions for you, can they reach out to you? Yeah, it's uh, the best way to get us is it's our email. It's hello, H-E-L-L-O at J-C-M-A-I-N-C dot com. Okay, great. And we'll probably have that stuff up on where we host the podcast. So just say one quick thing about the technology, though, is what I'm constantly surprised as this, and we've known you for a couple of years, Joe, is that all of the things, a lot of the things that I call you up and say, hey, can I do this? Can, is there a program that does this? And you're always like, yeah, it's in Microsoft. You already pay for it. <laughs> like, oh, really? Tell me about that. And so it's oh, so as you know, you're looking at document vaults, or you're looking at you know how do I make this file for my lawyer? And sometimes lawyers have their own software, and there's other things out there that you can pay for. A lot of us have it already, right? Like we just don't know that we have it. Right. So we're gonna get you to write some blogs for us, Joe, and explain to yes. you. Yes. You said something about uh, Facebook privacy settings, and in my head, I'm like. Yeah, I don't think I use those at all the way I should probably use them. So, well, well, remember we had a show a couple months back about um, what's what can be subpoenaed and what could be like used in court. And a lot of Joe, a lot of what you were talking about is really important. Um, and, and, and Angelina, we're actually going to shift to you next. But a lot of what you were talking about, about visibility and what you're doing out there, what you're saying out there becomes part of your digital footprint. And it gets really bad. Um, but so we're going to shift gears and move over and talk a little bit about mental safety because you deal with high conflicts. So I think it's, I hate to say people at their worst, but I think, I think more people are starting to understand that not through divorce, but through COVID and that stress really moves you more toward that lizard brain, moves you more toward reacting and not responding as I talked about before. And it can get you in a bad state of mind. So what, talk a little bit about mental, mental safety, like keeping yourself sane. Oh, we lost you. Are you on mute? I'm muted. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. There we go. Okay. There's a lot to that. Um, one of the things, obviously, like you said, with stress is that we see statistics wise, the more stress that there is within a family system, the more likelihood there is of things like child abuse. 
um, when, you know, obviously the economy and all of the financial concerns that have come along with everything changing, it's no wonder that we're actually seeing flooding in the courts right now when it comes to filing cases of divorce. Like I know I'm getting eight to 10 calls a week um, with people who are being referred because of divorce and it's, it's been absolutely crazy since the courts. Are is that more, is that because of the COVID-19 stuff? Well, part of it's because the courts were kind of shut down and then they open back up again. But I mean, you could also, I mean, there'll eventually be some research on it, I'm sure, to say how much of this being quarantined with their partners and all of the additional stress with the finances and everything have led to more filings. And so the belief is that there is more filings now than there was pre-COVID-19, but um, divorce filings tend to have come in waves anyways. So we'll see how it plays out um, overall with the statistics. But the point is realizing that um, or one of the things I wanted to say with mental safety is usually there's two um, people in a divorce and this isn't always every case, but usually there's the person initiating the divorce and then there's the person being divorced. And the part of mental safety depends on which person you are. And so if you're the person initiating the divorce, you're gonna need to have another possible strategy plan than the person who is being divorced. Um, so would you agree with that? That's been your guys' experience that you've seen that as a theme? That makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think from a mediation perspective, I mean, I've seen people who are sort of mutual and, and but I, I think a, we, don't, we don't deal with high conflict as much. Uh, and, you know, so it may, it, I, I see less of it, I think, but again, I'm on the fringe because I do really mediation focused on the real estate piece. So I'm kind of brought in to go mediate and help out with that stuff. But, uh, you know, I think, Mariah, you said that kind of tracks, no? Yep, that's the norm. So for the person who is initiating the divorce, oftentimes you're going to get a lot of resistance from the family system. And that could be your own children, obviously your spouse, um, and all extended family as well. Um, you may be accused of being a horrible person or being selfish because you're doing what you feel that you know that you need to do. Like this is just where you're at and you're done. And holding that line can be very difficult, especially, again, I know I work with the extremes, but I do a lot of parent-child contact issues where the children are rejecting the parent. And oftentimes that's because the child has aligned with the parent that's been left and is punishing that parent for trying to leave the family system. Um, and so just lots of um, things there, but for that person who is the person leaving the marriage, um, again, identifying who are your key people, who are your core people, people that you know are not going to run back and talk to your ex or anyone on his side that's going to cause to stir drama, um, who are people that you can count on. And again, going back to what you guys were talking about, don't blast your personal information on the internet. Um, don't, you know, say negative things about your divorce or the other person on the internet. Um, don't over-involve the police in things that aren't necessary to involve them in. So again, I, I get that I work with the extreme, but um, going back to that mental safety piece with those individuals, you're going to want to um, really just almost insulate yourself throughout the divorce process while the other person gets up to speed to where you are. Are you ever, ever able to like, redirect them in terms of, you know, there's a lot of energy, right? Whether it's good, bad, whatever, there's, there's energy kind of created through that. But redirecting to where it can be somewhat to, constructive instead of destructive? Are you, are you able to successfully do that ever? Of course. Um, it just, it, it depends on the level that they come in with of energy and, 
you know, where people are at, again, in the process. It is a process. Oftentimes, the person who's initiating the divorce has already processed through all these feelings, and the person who's being divorced may just be at the very beginning line of starting to process through those feelings. Do you work with both spouses a lot? Oh, yeah, all the time. Oh, wow. Okay. Do you ever set up, like, ground rules to maintain that mental that mental safety, like the, 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 you know, so that they know what's appropriate because they forget, right? Absolutely. And so um, obviously when you're in a marriage, um, things are very different than when you're divorcing and shifting just the idea of those roles can be very difficult for individuals because they'll continue to almost resume matrimony when they're in this breakup process and it just causes a lot of confusion. And so um, depending on the level of conflict of the, the parents, like sometimes we'll have, or the families, um, sometimes we'll have it to where they really don't communicate with each other, but through an app or very professional communication. Um, it, just having professional oversight of their communications at times if necessary, um, just to make sure that it doesn't go um, sideways. <laughs> you had mentioned too, making sure you find your core people. I think it's important to recognize when you're going through a divorce, that your soon-to-be ex-spouse may not be the only toxic person in your life. Oh, yeah. Friends who are going to be good sounding boards, and there are going to be the friends who thrive on drama, who are going to really make matters worse, and having the cognizance and the ability to identify. So they may be a lot of fun to, like, chit-chat with on the softball field at the kids' game, but they're not going to be your confidant during this very difficult emotional process. Absolutely. Um. I've said a couple times, there's four different kinds of divorce, and we all know there's the legal side, we all know there's the emotional side, there's the financial side, but the social divorce, I think, takes people by surprise, and you had talked about it earlier, that you're not going to keep all your friends, you're probably not going to stay best friends with your soon-to-be ex's sister, I mean, it does happen, but it's not the norm, um, Talk about how to maybe make a plan to build in new norms or build in new processes when it's really hard. It is really hard. And I think one of the things um, that I found very beneficial when I went through my own high conflict divorce was I developed a new support system of people who were also going through divorce. Mm -hmm. And so I um, availed myself of something at the time called divorce care, which is through the churches um, because that's kind of aligned with my values. And um, actually went twice, <laughs> went to two sessions of it. Once. Yeah, a lot of people do. And it was, it was so helpful. I have developed friendships out of that group and out of that time period with people going through the same stuff as I was going through that I will have for the rest of my life. And um, it was helpful because then my other friends, I wasn't exacerbating them with all the stuff from my divorce because you can only hear it so many times and you get stuck in things. And then it just drains everyone around you, especially when they're going on with their normal lives where they're not going through the same crisis as you are. And so um, I know like we started a free divorce group at my um, facility that we have on Sunday nights at seven. Um, and just finding some kind of place where you can get together with other people who are going through the same thing can be very, very helpful in the growth process. Now, I have a question. Like a lot of this, it seems like is about awareness, right? Like and recognition. How do you help people recognize those feelings and, and sort of deal with them the right way as opposed to like just having this big ball of angst? Well, oftentimes we have to look at, this is going to sound very therapy like, but we have to look at the core values of what their beliefs were around marriage. And we have to go back to when did those values start? Even in childhood, what were the thoughts that they had surrounding marriage? Like I'll get people who are really angsty when they believe that divorce is unacceptable. 
divorce is never an option. And then the other person is divorcing them. And so then we have to go back to, well, where did you develop this belief? And then we have to start kind of poking holes at it. And we have to get them to do the work to shift their thinking. And if anything, we have to talk about control versus love. You know, are you wanting to be with this person because you love them or because you want to be in control of them? If they're asking to be set free, then is that love? And then once we can get them there, a lot of times the angst will, will go down. But I like that. That was very therapy-like, but you're a therapist, so we allow that. That's why we had you on the show. Um, what about kids? Uh, you know, we're really talking about the spouses, um, but mental safety, you know, again, the physical safety and stuff we're talking about really centers around the, the, the divorcing parties. But the kids are pretty vulnerable during these times. Absolutely. And I think that the hardest thing is that sometimes parents and particularly more immature parents want to uh, convince or win over their kids or, you know, make the kids side against the other parent, even though it may not be intentional. It's just natural. And we have to be very, very mindful as parents not to talk negatively, not to make any comments of any kind that could be even perceived negatively about our other parent. We have to just know that we have to shield them because it's in their best interest. And we have kids, especially teenagers, they want to know everything. They feel like they, they have the right to know everything, but we still need to realize that developmentally, they're not mature enough to understand the complexities of the situation. So, and it's so you, you shouldn't go to them for the technical support like that Joe is giving in terms of, <laughs> hey, what app should I be using during divorce? They know, I'll tell you, at this point, I thought I knew technology. They know technology. So my guess mm -hmm. is they're not, probably not the appropriate... Uh, tech support. I was just having this conversation um, with someone the other day, Angeline, uh, pretty amicable divorce. They've got two kids, 11 and 14. And I suggested therapy for the kids. I suggest therapy for the kids in every situation. And they're like, well, why we get along? I'm like, yeah. But even in the like happiest, best, you know, scenario where you do get along, they can't come to you and complain about dad or they can't go to dad and complain about mom because there's a divisiveness that wasn't there before and you give them their own person is there any situation that you can think of that for kids going through a divorce it wouldn't benefit them to have at least a little bit of of therapy and their own person to talk to i know you're probably biased which is why i'm asking this question but i really i can't think it could hurt um if they're under the age of five um you know, you have to understand the difference between adult therapy and children's therapy. So like we have a um, therapist here that's designated to work with just children and they do a lot of play therapy and um, they'll just play guess who and the kid will talk about like their beliefs or their week and as things come up, then the therapist can be attuned in it and kind of be like, oh, where'd you get that thought from? And then they could talk about maybe having two houses or things like that. Um, but under five, it's really not appropriate unless the child is acting out. Okay. Um, and then if the child's acting out, what we do is a type of therapy where we talk to both parents and we get what is the child's behaviors and then we work with both parents on how to target those behaviors consistently in both homes. And we have them keep a log, a journal that they have to bring in and be accountable to us for. And it's amazing that usually within three to four weeks, the kid's doing great because they got the parents on board and on the same page. No surprise. Well, thank you. If people want to get hold of you, uh, on any level, right? Because you do therapy beyond divorce too, right? I do. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, I'm at New Vista Behavioral Health. We're located in Maryville, Indiana. Um, our phone number is 219-484-2143. If you press extension one, that goes to my answering services 24-7. Um, they will get us the message and then I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Now, where can people find the information? You had mentioned 
events, support groups, things like that. Is all that information on your website? Yes, and our Facebook page. It's New Vista Behavioral Health of Northwest Indiana. Okay. And then it's on www.newvistanwi.com. Got it. Okay. Well, fantastic. So we're going to bring it home, talking about financial safety. And I uh, just want to have a conversation. Mariah was going to lead off talking a little bit about what are some considerations. I think people sometimes, and I think we're bringing it up last, but it's no less important because people don't think about it, right? It's kind of like what Joe was talking about, where people forget that the, their passwords are, you know, something that both spouse knew or things like that. Financially, a lot of times their shared finances could be for decades. Mariah, what, what, are people, what should be their focus? I think that a lot of people look at the financial side of divorce similar to how I look at the technology stuff that Joe was talking about, where it's just so overwhelming, I'm just not going to deal with it sometimes. Um, and so realizing that they have to deal with it. Um, and a lot of cases, I mean, I'm not going to lie, if for some reason my husband and I ever <laughs> separated, he would have no idea how to access anything. But I think that's normal. I think one person has their finger on the pulse of the account numbers and how the bills are paid and, you know, where's the mortgage at and all that stuff. And one person doesn't. And when you're thinking about divorce, it's the best time to gather that information, to educate yourself while you're still in the marital home and you have access to statements or you have access to that other person. Finding out the information while you can is really important because it's a lot more expensive to have that information information requested by your attorney and then wait six months for it to come back around and it's probably changed and you've got to go around again. You have access to what you need. And I think what people don't realize is that for many, the single most impactful financial um, event of their life is going to be divorce. Rarely, and second marriages aside, rarely when two people get married, are they at their wealthiest with their most in assets and, you know, they've got all these accounts. Some people, yes, but most people know they're younger. When you're getting a divorce, especially in great divorces, it's hugely impactful financially. And if you don't know what you're doing, it can be terrifying. Well, and I've got a question. This kind of touches on technology and stuff. So, Joe, you might have some input. There's a lot of these systems, though, that are like financial information aggregators, right, where you might have your money somewhere, but you've given access to these platforms where it pulls balances and all kinds of stuff. You know, this really, again, touches on technology and, and finance. How, how do you make that safe? How do you put that in a situation where um, you're protecting the asset, but also keeping the information in a, in, in a, in a manner that you can use it during mediation? I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, there's a lot. Of, okay, I guess let me try and say it a different way. There's a lot of information out there with those with those aggregates, right? And it could be it could be accounts that are individual accounts, could be joint accounts, could be all that kind of stuff. And the minute you're getting divorced, that that access still exists. Oh, for sure. What are what are steps people can take, but that aren't going to be steps that complicate the divorce, but that also protect their best interests. That's how what I wanted to ask. Do you do you recommend just shutting that stuff down? Yes, for some, in some cases, right? So you've got to start changing passwords at some point. Um, can you just go close accounts and move money around? You shouldn't, and it's going to come back around to get you anyway, even if you do. Um, but that goes back to, the, to knowing where you stand. If you don't know that we have 
six bank accounts between the, the two of us and two are at Chase and two are at, you know, First Midwest. And then we've got two online ones. You don't even know where to look. Um, and I think it kind of goes back, what are your immediate needs? As you're going through this divorce, what are your immediate needs? Do you know where you're going to live? Do you know how you're going to provide for yourself during the proceedings? An amicable divorce can be done in three or four months. A non-amicable divorce can go as long as it can go. Um, two years. How many? <laughs> two. Yeah. Yeah. I have a year and a half to two years right now is the average that I'm seeing. I have one that's on its fifth year. Wow. I believe it. So um, you've got to know what your immediate needs are. And I think that that's part of how you keep yourself financially safe, right? Do you have an emergency fund? Do you have access to the accounts you need to have access to? Um, if one person holds all the credit cards and the other person is just an authorized user on those cards, that can be cut off immediately. Do you have access to a credit card? If you need that credit card for a couple months to live, which you might. Um, well, and I think the, the, the other thing to think about is the defensive game, right? Like you, right now you're talking about how do you live, but the defensive game on not emerging from the divorce where you have no access to credit, where you've trashed everything, where you have no assets and things like that. Uh, and anyone of the, the guests, talk a little bit about, about that piece. I know um, uh, Angeline, from a, from a uh, mental perspective, I'm sure there are people who want to burn it all down and, and take, out their, take out their rage on the other people. And there's other people uh, who go in a different direction. I had one person spend $88,000 on a divorce. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. I've seen some, some big ones. Yeah, I've seen those numbers too. And the thing is, and I don't want to say that there's no point in going through the processes that get you to divorce, but in very few cases is one person going to walk away with 90% of the assets and the other person is going to walk away with nothing. There would have to be hugely extenuating circumstances for that to happen. Things are usually going to be in the realm of fair, right? Equitable, whether it's 50-50 or 60-40. It's going to be in that realm. So if you have a million dollars between the two of you and you want to spend $200,000 on the divorce, you're just going to split the $800,000 that's left if you want to spend that kind of money fighting over it. So if you don't know what you, and people, people also think that they can go on a long two-year divorce um, without having the money to pay for it. Yep. And that's just not going to happen. Um, divorce, uh, divorce lawyers get paid. So if you don't have the assets to pay them, it's not going to work out well. And um, the two other big things that I think people need to consider to keep themselves safe are health insurance. It's a huge expense. If you don't know what you're going to do when you lose it, uh, it's not often, it's not addressed as often as I would like it to be. Um, and then if you want to get really more complicated, tax consequences. There are a lot of assets that come with tax consequences that people don't fully understand. So from a financial safety perspective, what I, what I hear you saying is, Getting the right professionals is key. Get a person. You know, kind of like everything else, right? You get a Joe, you get an Angeline, you, you get a Doug, and, and they help you do all this kind of stuff. It's not that different than if you were diagnosed with a serious illness, right? Like you wouldn't get diagnosed with a brain tumor and just have a family nurse practitioner that helps you through the whole process. It's not going to work that way. You need a physician that specializes it. You need a primary care physician. You need an oncologist. You need probably, you know, some naturopathic help. You need people who are going to help you emotionally through that process. When you're looking at something as big as a divorce, which it is, and it shouldn't be minimized, get your team. 
get your technology person. I know that's probably not as easy to find, but you know, I wouldn't know how to do half the stuff if I didn't have Joe, Joe to call. So get your person who's going to help you get a therapist, get um, a financial person. If you aren't the person in the, in the relationship, even if you are, get someone who knows about money and taxes because those mistakes are so costly. So, and if somebody is frightened, what's the first steps they should take to make sure that their finances are safe going into a divorce and coming out of it? Gather your information. I can't stress enough to gather your statements, gather your information, know what the health insurance covers, know where the retirement accounts are, know if there's a pension, know that if you've been married for nine and a half years, 10 years is a really important mark. Know do all your reading and do all your Googling and drown out the noise from other people who are going to tell you how to do it if they're not a professional. Absolutely. Well, great information again. Great show. Thanks to our guest, Joe Markovich from JCMA. And everybody knows how to get a hold of you if they have technology questions. Angeline Schuler from New Vista Behavioral Health. We got, we'll have your information up there as well after this. Um, I always like to, to end the show by saying, you know, we, we are we are about facilitating divorce and facilitating separation, but we're not necessarily pro-divorce, right? We're about informed decision-making. So we're also about people who um, may or may not be, um, may or may not have a uh, an understanding. So if you know somebody who needs help, share this podcast, share information, share um, everything that you can to help them through. As Angeline said, it's a tough time. And the best way that you can be a friend sometimes is to help people find their way. Um, what I would say is subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, subscribe to our podcast. There's new episodes every week. We break the episodes down, uh, but you can share them. They're, they're, they're categorically broken down. We have a new curated site, part of our site that's got all the videos. Um, and if you know someone who's considering divorce, send them to the Split Ready site. We have a great assessment. You know, I talked a little bit earlier about having a preparedness background. Um, we took a lot of what I learned in that world and boiled it down to more or less a preparedness survey about divorce. So it's a great way to start down that road to see how Split Ready you are or to see whether you need to get to get divorced. And Ryan, you're going to be able to bring it home this time. I know I drop this on you every time, but you, you have the best, uh, the best sign off. I know, but I never remember it. Um, if you or somebody <laughs> you know is going through a divorce, um, go to www.splitready.com. And we do believe, and this is why we do it, that you can get through your divorce with your finances, your integrity, and most of your sanity intact. And we'll throw personal safety in there this time, too. So <laughs> thanks to our guests again. Really appreciate you taking the time and talking to our listeners. And we'll see all, we'll see all of you in August. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Woo.